Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. And, and before I get into our message, I uh, hope that I'll get a chance to see you tonight. Um, please come back at 6 o'clock in the fellowship hall. We have the joy tonight of hearing from the wilds. All right, so Mike and Libby, maybe their boys, are going to be sharing about really what God's been doing these last several years and even, even just this last decade and a half that they've been serving him in uh, Southeast Asia. So you won't want to miss it, 6 o'clock, Fellowship Hall, an opportunity to hear from the wilds. So if you are just joining us this morning, maybe you're a guest or maybe you've been away um, for, for some time, we are um, taking a break in our study of Romans. And I, I'm excited to get back into Romans. We'll be picking up in chapter 6 in a couple weeks. But we are looking at right now our theme for the year, which is knowing him and making him known boldly. And just to recap, in case you weren't here last week, the main points, uh, we talked about what is boldness by first talking about what it's not. Uh, boldness is not unkindness, right? You don't have to be a bull in, in a china shop. Bold, boldness is not the absence of fear. In fact, boldness is, is being afraid often, but doing what's right, obeying, following God's leading anyway, even though we're afraid, as John Wayne said, saddling up. And then third, boldness is not the status quo. I think that's just important to meditate on and think about. Uh, what is your status quo? Boldness is not that. It's not just continuing on as things are. But it's, it's stepping forward in faith. We looked at Proverbs 28.1. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. So to grow in boldness, we talked about the need to confess our sin to God daily. Not to, not to cower from a defiled conscience, but to go to that throne of grace boldly and to confess. Because we have a, an amazing high priest who has given his life as a ransom for us and for our sin. So confess your sin to God so that you might have a clean conscience before him. And then second, cultivate your relationship with Christ. Go deep daily. We're going to talk about that more this morning in your walk with Christ. And then carve out time to spend with other lions. You know, our, our faith is, is stirred by the faith of others. And so those who are lion-hearted spend time with other Christians and go deep in discipleship with them. And then also discipline yourself or condition yourself for courage. Boldness begets boldness. So go about living bravely as a spiritual discipline. I pray that each of you and myself will step out boldly in faith this year. That we will together know Christ and, and make him known boldly. Well, our theme this morning is that of prayer. Praying boldly. So let's just start by asking the question, what is prayer? It's not a hard question. Uh, kids, what is prayer? Let me hear a kid. Talking to God, that's right. Prayer is simply communication. Talk, talking from your heart to Jesus Christ. I, I love this definition of prayer. Prayer is faith breathing. Prayer is faith breathing. You know, prayer is actually a natural instinct for human beings, 
The, the Hebrew word for breath and spirit, ruach, it's, it's, the same, it's the same word, breath and spirit in Hebrew. And th- there's something in our spirit that is often comes out in our breath that knows that we're just not alone, that we need God. You know, people who say they don't believe in God often do go to prayer in times of deep distress. So prayer is actually a natural instinct, but prayer does take work. It takes intentionality. Tim Keller wrote a great book on prayer. I'm actually still working through it, um, but I recommend it to you. Um, It's just called Prayer by Tim Keller. You can look it up on Amazon and order it if you like. But he writes this in his first chapter. He says, the traditional forms of prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication are concrete practices as well as profound experiences. We must know the awe of praising his glory, the intimacy of finding his grace, and the struggle of asking his help, all of which can lead us to know the spiritual reality of his presence. Prayer then is both awe and intimacy, struggle and reality. These will not happen every time we pray, but each should be a major component of our prayer over the course of our lives. Prayer is the way that we experience deep change, the reordering of our loves. It is the way we know God, the way we finally treat God as God. Prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in life. We must learn to pray. We have to, end quote. Well, this last week as I was thinking about this sermon on prayer, I I made a list of memories, like prayer memories or prayer highlights in in my life. And um, and I I mean, it wasn't exhaustive, of course, but times I could remember seeking God earnestly in prayer and experiencing Him in prayer. Sometimes experiencing His presence, sometimes experiencing amazing answers to prayer. And I would encourage you to do this. Um, maybe you've already did it because I encouraged you in an email. But if you haven't, take, it's, a, it's a wonderful devotion or discipline that can turn into a devotion. Um, take time, maybe today or tomorrow in your quiet time, just to list out times that you've truly experienced God in your life through prayer. And, and I think it will stimulate more prayer. And, and maybe you're feeling dry in your prayer life. But th- th- this will help you. Um, and so for the sake of time, I can only just share a few of mine with you. But I remember when I was in seventh grade, when I was, when I was my son Tim's age, maybe even a little younger, I was 13, I think. And some of you know my brother Thomas. Well, Thomas was just one, and he had a problem with holding his breath. He'd get upset and cry and scream, and, and the screams would then turn into holding his breath. And he, he would, I mean, he would, sometimes you would hear him crying, and then you would, you would hear screaming, and then, and there are five of us in the family, so five kids, so not everybody always got the attention they demanded. So he may not, as a last born, get the attention that he was expecting. And then you'd hear it go quiet, and sometimes there was an eerie quietness, and you just had this feeling something's not right. And you'd look around, and you'd find Thomas like purple. He couldn't catch his breath again. Several times he passed out, and I remember one night, um, I found him in my dad's bathroom, my parents' bathroom, 
and he was panicking and he couldn't breathe. And he had been probably holding his breath for at least a minute, maybe two. And I called for my dad. I mean, I, try, I was trying to, you know, I was trying to do what I could to get him to breathe again. And my dad had to do CPR on him. And it took a number of minutes. And, and actually he yelled at us, to, the kids, to get out of the room. Like he wasn't sure Thomas was going to come back. And I remember running out of the room, grabbing my little sister Tiffany, and just crying out to God in prayer. And it was, there was no pretense in that. It, it was just begging God, save, please save my little brother. And you know what? Within, like right then as we were praying, I, I, he got his breath back. And I think we did, they did have to take him into the ER. Um, but he came back. A few years later in ninth grade, I, I went on my very first missions trip. Uh, with my dad. It was a medical missions trip after a, a, a hurricane, and we went to Jamaica. And, and, and you know, it was my, that was my first for a lot of things. And I, I really experienced God in a way I had never experienced before. And I remember um, sitting in a field my last day there, my last afternoon, and just talking to God and just basically saying, God, I, I want more of you. I really want to know you. I don't know what all that means. I don't know what all that's going to look like in my life. But I want you to use me. It was just a time of communion with God. And I just remember sensing his presence in a way that I hadn't really sensed uh, much of before. Six years later, between my junior and senior year of college, I had a chance to lead a, a missions team, uh, teen missions. A couple of you, I know Bart's been with teen missions. Uh, and, and God really got a hold of my life between my junior and senior year um, I actually spent the summer in England with teen missions and went back in college as a leader and led this team to Africa, to Mozambique. And so our project was to renovate an orphanage and we're going to paint it. That was a big part of our project. And believe it or not, we, teen missions, used to do crazy things. They may still do this. Um, all of the paint, like Mozambique, this is 93, uh, was just coming through a civil war. And I guess you couldn't really buy paint there. So we flew all our paint over there with us. Evidently, I don't think the FAA lets you do that anymore. Maybe they didn't back then. Not exactly the safest thing in the world. Uh, somehow, we were trying to carry, we had like 30 teenagers, right? Every one of them had like um, two bags full of gallon paint cans that we carried on this plane, right? Um, Aeroflot. So Russia's just getting their new airline, Aeroflot, a bunch of converted old, like 1950s military transports, uh, old, old, you know, Antonovs, um, as a civilian airline. And so the Russian flight attendant figured out that we all had paint. I, don't, I guess back then we didn't have security. I don't know. Um, anyway, we're trying to get on the plane, and he's like, you know, you goofy Americans, you can't bring that on the plane. And we're like, no, we got to. We're, we're going all the way to Africa, and we're... This is our project. You can't tell us we can't bring this paint on the plane. And, and so anyway, he goes to get a supervisor. And I just remember right outside, the, right in the gate, 30 kids all got in a big circle in front of everybody in the world and prayed that God would move that paint on the plane. And he did. <laughs> Thankfully, the plane didn't go down. But that was just like, yeah, great. Thank you, God. Uh, you answered our prayer, you know. Um, Ten years later, with my young family, Beth, Grace was one. We were in the basement of a building of, of our office slash guest house where we were living uh, in western Afghanistan. Big anti-government riot going on outside our gates. 
they had already uh, set about 12 different NGOs, including three different NGO uh, or UN buildings on fire. And we had hundreds of people outside our gate chanting death to America, and we got word that they may bust into our place. I, I, I remember crying out to God to protect for deliverance for my family and, and our team. And most of the guys were out opening a, a clinic that day. I'd stayed behind uh, because we heard security might get bad, but we had no idea it was going to be this, all these thousands of people, you know, shooting guns in the air and rioting. And um, I just cried out to the Lord for deliverance. And he actually used an Afghan family to save us, to protect us. Um, and he did. He delivered us. Well, I remember for six years with that team gathering for an hour a day and praying that God would do a work, not, not only save a couple people, but that he would save a people group. The, the, you know, we went over there to, to bring help. We were working with an NGO and doing humanitarian aid and development, but what they really needed was Christ. And so <laughs> there was a people group of 1.2 million, the, the IMOC. And up until 2004, we don't believe there had ever been one IMOC Christian, right? 1.2 million people never had the opportunity in the history of our planet to hear the gospel but it was a task way bigger than, I mean, anything we could do was a drop in the bucket. And so we made it a priority as a team to really pray for God to work and to save. And so we spent an hour a day, five days a week together in prayer, not for each other, but just for this people group that we were trying to reach. And I remember that year, God did what seemed impossible, but we saw the very first conversion. Dr. Luke, um, not, his, not his Afghan name, name we gave him, or he gave himself actually, um, to be talked about with. And then I remember two years later, actually it was about a year later, his wife became the second IMOC ever in the history of the world to be a follower of Jesus. Then I remember his cousin, who was an opponent, who was a, 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 a real rascal, right, who was adamantly opposed to the gospel, um, God bringing him to his knees. And in repentance and faith. And today, I, I think we think that there's over 100, which is still just a start. But I believe this was very much the result of people, more than all that work and action and activity, it was, it was the result of prayer. God, praying for, for, that God would break strongholds so that the message of Christ could be proclaimed. In the fall of 2010, this very first IMOC believer, Luke, and a good dear brother of mine uh, named Petrus from South Africa were arrested within minutes of one another. Petrus actually had just moved into my house. We had just moved to London, uh, and, and there was a big raid on our house and Luke's house, and they were taken to jail. And actually, Luke was in jail for about two months. Petrus was in jail for several weeks uh, for the crime of talking to people about Jesus. And, and I remember crying out to God, feeling so um, helpless, wondering if, if somehow I was partly responsible, okay? Uh, you know, could, you know could, could it be that it was my place? Turns out that wasn't the reason. Uh, there was an actual mole. There was a, a, a guy who was, had been pretending to be a Christian in a discipleship group that, that both of those guys were involved with. Uh, and he had pretended for over a year, but he was an informant. And so he had been ratting on them, and so they, that was what precipitated the, the raid. And, and so after, after 
two months of prayer. You know, our brother Luke spent time in, in uh, several different jails. He was tortured. Uh, he, there was even an attempt made on his life. And I got the call. I had some kind of insider contacts in the government myself. Uh, I was doing everything I could to work whatever connections I had. But I got a call saying today is the day they're going to kill him. They're going to execute him. He had been in an NDS prison, and they're just going to, they're done with him. And that very same day, instead, they flew him to Kabul. They told him they were taking him to Puli Cherokee. Some of you know where that is. Um, that's a prison you don't get out of. And instead, they let him go at the airport, took his handcuffs off, and told him he was free. And that was just a divine miracle, an answer to prayer. Many times throughout my life, I've asked God for deliverance. I've asked God for forgiveness. I've asked God to heal and, and to save. Sometimes it's in hospital rooms. Some of, some of your hospital rooms, even. Last Tuesday night, you will remember, um, our government had taken out the Iranian General Soleimani. And I think everyone who knows anything about Iran knew they had to respond because of their whole shame on our culture. They, they, they had to do something. And my concern was, hey, <laughs> this thing could have no end in sight because then we'll respond. And, um, and you, so you remember on Tuesday night of last week, they responded with 15 out of maybe 3,000 or more of their missiles. They didn't even send their best ones, okay, in a, in a very limited strike. Um, and I remember praying, God, please be merciful. Please be merciful. Um, please be merciful to our country, to our armed services. We, 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 we don't need more war. Uh, please be merciful to the Iranian people. There's, there, there's probably a million of our brothers and sisters in house churches throughout that land uh, under a repressive, evil government. But, but Lord, please bring about peace. You're the prince of peace. And we, we saw on Wednesday morning um, our president take the off-ramp that, frankly, the Iranian government had kind of provided with their limited response. You know, you might think when you hear that, well, you know what, that just could have happened anyway, right? I mean, politics and who can pr predict whatever. But let me just tell you this. When we think, well, maybe that would have just happened anyway. You know, does prayer really change anything? That very thought keeps us from giving God praise for answered prayers all the time. It robs him of glory. I love the amplified version of James 5.16b. The heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man, a believer, can accomplish much. Here's the context, and you'll find this in your, in your notes. James 5.16-18 uh, ESV. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. God is omniscient and omnipotent and sovereign. And he has chosen to use the prayers of his people to change history, to change things, to accomplish things. 
Is, that, is there some mystery involved in that formula? You bet there is. Do I have it all figured out? Absolutely not. And yet he calls us to pray and he changes things through our prayers. So why don't we, why don't we pray more? You know, I think prayer is certainly something uh, both individual and corporate, an area that we as a church can grow in uh, some more. Last year our theme was knowing him and making him known through prayer. And yet the lowest attended Rocky Family Night by far, by far, was when we gathered together just to pray. Like literally less than a third of the normal numbers came. Our Wednesday evening prayer group, which I was telling Mike Wild earlier today, um, Mike, you helped us out when you got arrested. Thank you. I mean, not, we, we were very sad that that happened. But, you, but we, we had dwindled maybe to about five people on Wednesday night gathering to pray. Now, Wednesday night's a tough time to, to do a prayer night, right? In fact, we've actually kind of changed it up. And so instead of gathering on Wednesday night because you've got Awana going and there's a ton of you involved in Awana, uh, there's a women's Bible study and I know the ladies pray together. That's a, that's a big deal. We've got youth ministry going on and there's a number of adults involved in that too. And that's important. And you guys pray together with your youth. So we get that we're competing, right? Um, but at one point we had around 10 people, maybe 12 people. We had dwindled to maybe four or five. Mike, I think we, you like quintupled us, if that's the right word. Like we were up to like 20 or 30 people gathering, praying for you um, and your family. And we saw God answer prayers. You're sitting here right now with us. Praise God. You know, when we pray corporately, if we're honest, and by corporately, I mean anytime we gather together in a prayer meeting, right? So that could be, um, you know, during Awana. It could be during uh, a, a men's, you know, a Bible study or a women's Bible study or a life group. Um, we tend to spend more time talking to each other about our requests than we actually spend talking to God. Do we not? It's just a tendency. And there's reasons for that, um, some of us are social. We, we want to, each other to know what's going on in our lives. But we tend to actually, the, the prayer is often just kind of tacked on at the end. So I've been thinking this last week, why is it that we struggle so much with prayer as Christians? So I've got three reasons, and you might be able to think of more, but three reasons that Christians don't pray like they, like they should. Well, one, I think it can, it can come from a strained relationship with God. When, when you have a guilty conscience, uh, unconfessed sin, uh, you, you may feel like, well, God doesn't want to hear from me, right? So certainly unconfessed sin or a strained relationship with God in, inhibits us and, and keeps us from the prayer life that he would mean for us to have with him. And, and so the solution to that one's easy, right? Just confess your sins. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us. You don't have to do penance for a month, right? And keep distant until he'll accept you back. Um, Jesus' blood is a whole lot stronger than whatever you did. So seconds after confessing sin, you can, you can reestablish that prayer life, right? You can, talk, you can talk with him and commune with him and receive his forgiveness. I, I think another reason that Christians don't pray is distraction. We have busy schedules, a lot going on. 
But also there's a lot in our culture today, frankly, to compete with our affections. A lot of entertainment, sports, media, uh, iPhones that would compete with our Godward thoughts. And then finally, unbelief. Frankly, and I think this might be the main one, <laughs> why we don't pray more. We don't really believe it's going to make a difference. We, can't, we see what a difference our activities can do, right? The things that we engage in and do. And as, as you know, Baptists are great at getting stuff done, and I love that. I love the fact that we are all about disaster response. And we want to get out there and share the gospel with people and, and, and you know, do benevolence work and good things. But we don't always see, you know, Bible studies, teaching, right? You, you can see it or you can hear it. But you don't always see the tangible results right away. We don't always see what God can do. And yet, I had the chance to visit a few years ago, uh, the, I think it's called the Billy Graham Museum in North Carolina. It's near the airport in, um, I think it was Charlotte. And I remember kind of walking through, I had, I had a long layover in Charlotte and and managed to get over there and, and, and check out this museum. And it, it was really great, just tracing Billy Graham's life. And I listened to an interview he gave a few months before he died. And he was asked a question by a reporter, hey, do you have any regrets or would you do anything differently? Now, I mean, Billy Graham has reached more people with the gospel perhaps than any other human being in history. And you know what he said? He said that he wished he had spent more time in his life praying. He said he wished he had spent less time traveling and speaking to large crowds. And, and he had done less of that so he could have spent more time in prayer. I'm convinced that God uses, and I, I got to this conviction by being one of those guys who was out on the field beating my head against the wall at times. Okay, trying to get something done. I, I'm convinced that God uses the prayers of some of you folks who are in your later stages of life, maybe you're elderly and maybe you've got some physical handicaps where you can't get out and do what you used to be able to do. But some of you are prayer warriors. I'm convinced God uses your effort in prayer to accomplish more than those young ones of us who are out there beating our heads against the wall, trying to get it done, maybe in our own strength at times. You know, the 17th century Puritan and pastor John Owen had this to say to successful pastors of his day. And I think it translates well to pastors in our culture today. He said, a minister may fill his pews, his communion role, the mouths of the public. But what that minister is on his knees in secret before God Almighty, that he is. And no more. That's convicting. Now to all of us, he says, uh, actually Tim Keller says this in his book, to discover the real you. Look at what you spend time thinking about when no one is looking. When no one is forcing you to think about anything in particular. At such moments, do your thoughts go towards God? You know, i got to stop for a minute. I, I was convicted um, this last Christmas, New Year, we had a bout of the flu that ran through our family. Uh, all five of us were down. And sometimes you think, hey, you know, being sick can be good. You're on your back. It slows you down. It can be reflective. It can be a great time of prayer. 
I didn't take as much advantage of that opportunity to seek my father as I wish I had. At such moments, back to Keller here, do your thoughts go towards God? You may want to be seen as a humble, unassuming person, but do you take the initiative to confess your sins before God? You wish to be perceived as a positive, cheerful person, but do you habitually thank God for everything you have and praise him for who he is? You may speak a good deal about what a blessing your faith is and how you just really love the Lord, but if you are prayerless, is that really true? If you aren't joyful, humble, and faithful in private before God, then what you want to appear to be on the outside won't match what you truly are. So there's an aspect of prayer that's all about spiritual integrity, we could say. Christian integrity. Jesus taught us a lot about prayer. Not only through his words, and he certainly taught uh, about prayer in, in Luke 11. And we'll end our message by just reading some of those, those words in the Lord's Prayer and following. But through his example, Jesus spent nights, we read in Luke, in prayer. Like literally all night up, out on a mountain just communing with God. He healed people often through prayer. He even said that really mean demons can only come out through prayer, if you remember. In Luke 3, when we read about John anointing Jesus in the Jordan and the Spirit of God in the form of a dove anointing him, that happened, we read in verse 21 through 22, that happened as Jesus himself was praying to God. In Luke 9, when Jesus was transfigured, that happened as he was praying to God before he was transfigured. The night before Jesus died in John 17, we have a record of his communion with God in the high priestly prayer. And then you remember the vivid picture of Jesus wrestling even with God in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane and sweating drops of blood before he died. In fact, when Jesus died on the cross, it was with a prayer on his lips. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So prayer is vital for Jesus, God the Son. You bet it's vital for us, the sons of God, through faith in Christ. So how should we pray? One word is the answer. Boldly. Pray boldly. So Turn back, if, you, if you've lost it, to Hebrews chapter 4. That was a long intro. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. I love the KJV's, I love the KJV's uh, um, summer or, or translation here of verse 16. It says, Therefore, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, why can we come boldly? According to this text. It's because we have a great high priest who's powerful. You know, the high priest was celebrated throughout the Old Testament. There's a lot that the Bible says about the high priest. Okay? Uh, but there's only one great high priest in the Bible. Only one place where the word great is inserted. And that's by the author of Hebrews. And so what we, what we see here is Jesus as not just God and the God-man but as hero, you could even think of as superhero here in this text. 
verse 14 reads, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed to the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. I see a metaphor here as for the temple of heaven, right? Remember the temple on earth was was a picture, it was a reflection as it were of the, the temple in heaven. What we see in like Isaiah, right? Chapter 6 where God is seated before the, the cherubim and the seraphim worshiping him. And, and so the, this temple in which people would go to worship Yahweh in the Old Testament was a picture of God's temple in heaven. But there was a separation. There was a curtain, a veil between the most holy place and the people. And only once a year the high priest would be able to go and penetrate that veil with a rope around his leg. So they could get him back if they needed to. His corpse at least, if, if they needed to. That's what they did. So here the picture is Christ pushing through that veil that separated man and God, not just on earth, but in heaven. You remember a few weeks ago when we were talking about depravity, right? We, we talked about the fact that, that the separation between us and God is not just like the Grand Canyon. We think about that, you know, and you're like, well, you know, Robbie Knievel, I think he managed to, you know, get across on that motorcycle. So maybe, you know, we could somehow get there. I mean, you've probably seen the tracks, you know, the, the cool Billy Graham tracks, and I like them. You know, the cross is the bridge. You walk across from one side to the other. The problem with that illustration is that it's not just the distance, whatever it is, 10 miles or whatever, of the Grand Canyon between us and God on level fields. It's a vertical distance. I mean, it's heaven and earth. And we have sinned and, we, I mean, we, you know, it doesn't matter how great of a high jumper you are. You've got no chance of jumping up to the sun. But God the Son, the superhero, came down to earth and became one of us and died on the cross for our sins. And then he rose from the dead and he went vertical back to the throne room of God to make intercession for us. So he has been the hero, the superhero to, to, to destroy that separation, that veil, to penetrate that curtain between us and God. He passed through the heavens. And so he has the power to save you and me and to deliver us as well. And he has the desire, he's sympathetic to pray for us, to intercede for us. Look at verse 15 of Hebrews 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. So Jesus truly understands. He really struggled when he was man. He really was tempted. It, it's, it's too easy sometimes maybe to think that, well, he had that turbo boost button of divinity. Therefore, when he faced a trial, he had an advantage that I don't have, right? He, he was God, so he could just push that little button and get past that, you know, that, that Gethsemane, right? Get past the cross with his divine superhero strength. But the truth is, God is, as man in the incarnation, he, he denied himself. He emptied himself of divine prerogatives. And there's mystery there, too. 
But he, so that he went through all of the temptations that we face as a man with the same level of struggle that you and I face. Therefore, he understands. He understands what it's like to suffer. He understands what it's like to face temptations that seem impossible to overcome. He is sympathetic. He loves us. He understands our weaknesses. In a way, this might sound blasphemous, it's not. In a way that God did not understand, though God knows all things consciously. He knows our hearts better than we do. But he didn't understand it experientially until he chose to come and live as one of us. And now he does. Jesus Christ, the God-man, does understand. And he is sympathetic and he's on our side, rooting for us as Christians. You know, the, the throne room of God is a dangerous place for a non-Christian. So if you don't know Jesus, if you've never given him your heart through faith, you can't approach God boldly. Because you're right now in a place of wrath. Okay, God is angry at your sin. So you need to flee to Jesus. He's the hero, the savior. Right? He's the one who gave himself for you so that the throne of God itself is a safe place for the Christian. Even the sinful Christian. Right? Uh, we can just simply confess and, and come before. We have access to the throne room of God through prayer. Because of our sympathetic, great, powerful high priest. So how should we approach him? Verse 16. Let us in with confidence, or even better, as the King Jimmy says, boldly draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Jesus is not only powerful and sympathetic, but he is ready. He is ready to provide mercy, grace, and help. He wants to help you in your time of need. So we should pray boldly. I love 2 Corinthians 3.12, and I don't have time to get into the whole context of it. But it says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are very bold. And that includes in prayer. We are to pray boldly. So let me kind of break down. Let's, let's kind of apply this here as we, as we seek to land our plane here. Um, three ways to pray boldly. First is... Pray sincerely and transparently. What I mean by that is humbly before God, without pretense. When you're praying with others, make sure that your prayers are really to God and not to other people. Jesus said in Matthew 6, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by other people. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. In Luke 18, Jesus told a parable to some that it says, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated other people with contempt. Verse 9 Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, 
adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So pray transparently and sincerely to God. I mean, he knows all things. So be stupid not to, right? Um, pray desperately and immediately. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Follow the example of Jesus. In Hebrews 5, 7, we read, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. It wasn't always the composed prayer. It, we're talking about yelling and, and tears crying out desperately to God. If Jesus needed God his Father to help him, to deliver him, let me tell you, so do you. <laughs> and so do I. Let me encourage you too with this, to pray immediately. What I mean by that is pray right away. Resolve to not talk about a prayer need with somebody without praying about it right then and there. Okay, that'll help you lie less by saying, brother, I'll, I'll pray for you, right? Uh, you just do it right then. And you know what, I, th I find for myself, it's more likely I'm going to remember later if I've already prayed right then. And, and so whatever, sometimes it might seem awkward socially, uh, but just do it. Let's change the culture instead of letting the culture define us. And what that should mean here is that if after a service you, you ran around the church like Flash, the Incredibles guy, right? Remember the kid? He could, you know. If you did that, if you're like Flash, you ought to see at least somebody praying at any given point after a service. Right? I might try that sometime. Uh, maybe in like slow motion, slow motion Flash, right? Um, but we ought to be, this should be a place where in the, it, just in normal fellowship, we just stop and pray with one another. So resolve to make that happen. Um, elders, lead by example. Deacons, you too. Lead by example. Um, all of you, all of us, brothers and sisters, let's step out of our comfort zone here. And, and when you hear about a need, just say, hey, do you want, can we just stop and pray right now for that? Number three. Um, as you pray, seek kingdom and communion with God. As I did a little study this last week, um, in the last few decades, there's been a lot of thought and a lot of writing on prayer, especially as our, as our culture becomes less religious but more spiritual. Okay, there's a lot of interest, renewed interest in, in prayer. And even among Christian theologians, there's, there's a debate between the, uh, those that would say prayer should always be kingdom focused, okay, and those who would say prayer should be communion focused with God. Let me explain a little bit what I mean. Now, a kingdom focused prayers are like petitions, 
right? Um, when we're asking God to make his name known or to heal and, and to save. Whereas communion with God would be prayers of praise and thanksgiving, adoration, confession, but especially just being with God. When we look at the Psalms, we see clearly some powerful prayers of communion. Like Psalm 27.4. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Or Psalm 42, 1 through 2, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul, O my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Or even Psalm 63, 1, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and wearing land where there is no water. Those are awesome. By the way, but also we have psalms like Psalm 10, 13, 39, 42, 43, 88, and others that are prayers that are kind of like saying, God, why aren't you acting yet? Where are you? Help, uh, rescue, save, extend your kingdom. And so we would call these kingdom prayers. So, my, my answer, my thought with this whole debate between kingdom or communion is simply they're not opposites, they're, they're friends. I mean, our, our very vision statement as a church reflects both. We exist to know him, that's communion with God. And to make him known, that's the extension of his kingdom. That's sharing Jesus with other people. Consider the Lord's Prayer, we see both. We see, in, in, in fact, in one verse, Luke chapter 11, verse 2, we see, how would be your name? It's a prayer of communion, adoration. And, and then right after that, your kingdom come. A kingdom prayer. So I, I believe that we need to do both. But, but if, if you're to ask me right now, what do we probably emphasize naturally more of? At least in our, in our prayers corporately, what do you think it would be? Kingdom. That's right. So we need to emphasize more then in our lives, seeking communion with God through prayer. The Scottish theologian John Murray wrote this. He said, it is necessary for us to recognize that there is an intelligent mysticism, intelligent mysticism in the life of faith. A living unison and communion with the exalted and ever-present Redeemer. He communes with his people and his people commune with him in conscious reciprocal love. The life of true faith cannot be that of cold, metallic assent. It must have the passion and warmth of love and communion because communion with God is the crown and the apex of true religion. You know, in, in Ephesians 1, we see a, a beautiful long introduction that Paul makes. And in, uh, verse, in verses 15 through 19, specifically he talks about his prayers for the Ephesian believers. And he says, his prayer is this. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's the NIV's version. You know, there's more emphasis in the New Testament for people in prayer 
when, when people are praying for other people, they emphasize more prayer that they would know God and commune with God than be delivered from their afflictions. So that should shape how we pray for one another, how we pray for the world. You know, spending time in just communion with God takes discipline. But it's also, what a, what a delight to spend time with our, our creator and our redeemer. So let me encourage you in your, in your own private prayer life, um, be disciplined here. It, it, it may be that you need to find a, a certain time where you do it every day. That can help. Even a certain place, like a, a chair. And, and maybe you keep your iPhone away from that chair. And you just read scripture. And what happens in your mind over time, that's the place that I go and meet with God. I read scripture and I pray to God. Maybe on your way to work, you need to turn off the radio. Or whatever you're listening to. And spend time in reflection. And in prayer, if, if nature, it, this works for me a lot, I often can focus more on the Lord when I'm outside, looking at a tree, you know, or, or watching the, the waves roll in. Spend time then in nature to commune with God. So let's, let's resolve to do more communing with God in prayer. But let's keep praying for each other as well. I made another list this week, um, and I don't have time to, because we're, we're kind of getting late here with a sermon, I don't have time to share everything. But I made a list of answered prayers that we've seen in our church. Um, these are corporate prayers, things that we've been praying for together, or groups of us have been praying for. And, and there's a number of these um, that are even very recent. Bill Turner, you're an answer to prayer. You're a huge encouragement to me. We need to keep praying that God would bring us a worship pastor. We've got a team that's been searching, but we need, it. we need to pray for that. But you know what? We did the same for you, and praise the Lord, that's all I can say. Um, Karen Pendergrass, I don't know if you're here. Um, I think I see you back there, maybe. I see Phil. Um, Karen has been a huge answer to prayer for us. We, we, we really needed a finance secretary, and what a blessing Karen has been. And actually... Um, to better care for her family and, and as, as they seek God's will, um, they're going to be moving on. And so we need another finance secretary. Please be praying for that. We prayed for about a year, I think, that God would bring us an Awana commander. That's a volunteer position, right? And, and we're tapping on some of your shoulders and some of you were like, well, my wife says no. Um, and I get that. Um, I didn't volunteer. Um, but Matt DiCarlo and Ben Lewis, two new guys... Um, put their hand in the air and, and praise God. They, you guys are answers to prayer. Karen Berry. I don't know if she's in the room or not. Um, is Karen in the room? She's in the nursery. What, right there. Karen is an answer to prayer. Bill, I remember, what was it, three and a half years ago when Karen had her stroke? I mean, I remember sitting with you on day one, I think it was, in the ICU. Like they let me in with you. And she was unconscious still. I didn't tell you this, but I didn't, I, I, I didn't think she was going to make it. I, mean, I, would, you know, I mean, it did not look good. And she's, she's, come a, she's had to come a long way. And it's been a fight. And yet she is serving in the nursery right now. And she is counseling people. She's had to learn, had to, learn to talk again. And to move and, get, and to, to walk again. That's an answer to prayer. 
is, is Myrene Springfield here this morning? She's not here this morning. She's out of town. Myrene is an answer to prayer. We didn't know just recently if she was going to make it. Last year we weren't sure. She, boy, went, she go through a medical battle. We just moved her from like the acute needs list off because of the answer to, to prayer. We, we need to be praying more, I'm convinced, for salvations. We, we pray a lot for healing, physical healing for people. Um, let's resolve together to spend more time praying for spiritual healing, for salvation, for our neighbors and our loved ones. But one young man that had his that family had been praying for for years for, young man named Devin Barron, Kathy Fuller's grandson, just came to know Jesus a few weeks ago. Praise God. That's an answer to prayer. So brothers and sisters, let us let us pray. I want to close by just reading some of Jesus' words on prayer here. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 11, verse 2. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we Ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. In verse 13, Jesus said, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Ken, would you uh, come and lead us in prayer, brother? Can't very well have a teaching about prayer without practicing it. So would you join with me and a couple of my brothers here as we, as we pray for lost people, uh, specifically in our families and then our friends and then around the world. So pray with me. Father, we uh, do want to uh, come before you boldly with confidence not in anything that we have accomplished or any worth that we might have, but because of Jesus. And as Troy just mentioned, we have seen so many answered prayers. That gives us even more confidence, Father, to know that you hear your children when we cry out to you. So I pray for our families, the lost among us that uh, have family members who don't know you. Father, maybe we're, we're married and our spouse doesn't know you. We have a husband or a wife who is not walking with you. Father, I pray that uh, you would help the believing um, be humble and faithful to you. And perhaps through that faithfulness, Father, we could um, see a, a spouse turn to you. Maybe we have children who don't know you. They've walked away. They're walking with the world. Um, they're living in a life that uh, is not pleasing to you. Father, I, I pray that you would infuse us parents to be gracious to them, to love them, to be an example of Christ-likeness and godliness to them. Father, and I pray that you would open their eyes and their hearts to the Lord Jesus. Maybe, Father, we have parents, a mother or a father who, who don't know you. Would you be gracious to save 
Help us as children, Father, to be obedient to our parents, to honor them. And through that uh, example of godliness, Father, you would, uh, you would open our parents' eyes to the gospel. And um, so many family members, Father, we, we all have family members who don't know you. And I pray for them. I pray that you would save. Your arm is not too short to save and your ear is not too dull to hear. So I pray that you would hear our prayer on behalf of our families, Father. And Lord, your word says that salvation is found in no one else. And since there is no name given under heaven by men uh, that we can be saved, that we should pray desperately, Lord, for our neighbors. Um, Lord, would you use me to reach out into my neighborhood? Would you use the members of this church body here to, to reach to their friends and their neighbors? Um, this request is for all of us, God, because there, there are unsaved people living all around us and people with needs who may know the Lord. And I don't know exactly why, but it seems so hard to share Christ with people that we're, we're close to, like Ken said, with our families, but it's so with our neighbors too. So we ask you to give us boldness, urgency, urgency as we've never known uh, before, because we don't know how long uh, we have on this earth or they have. So help us not to be ashamed of the gospel it is indeed the the power of christ unto salvation father i read where you you have said um, you have committed to us the message it says of reconciliation well lord that makes me an ambassador so you've commissioned me as an ambassador into my neighborhoods and and i i see and sense our culture continues to put up barriers around us when it's just across the street or just next door, just through the back fence. So give us again boldness to take this, Lord, knowing that you who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Give us boldness to be your righteousness. Lord God, uh, you tell us in your word uh, that you are sovereign. Uh, we see that, we, we see where you um, it is you who calls us. It's not because of our works or our choice. Mm -hmm. But let us not rest there, Lord. You, you tell us just one chapter over in Romans 10 that, uh, that part of your sovereign plan is to use your people to save. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I, we, we do pray that, um, that, uh, that we would be bold living out our faith in, in our, our families and our neighborhoods and our communities, Lord. But we see that's also your will and not just uh, a wish or a hope, but your sovereign will that you will be known among all nations, all tribes, all tongues. And so I pray, Lord, that we will, we will uh, work out our faith, Lord, in a way that, that takes your good and great name to, to the world um, uh, in, in our families, that we would just be bold in, in conversations and discipleship uh, to make you known, uh, to touch, to touch our, those closest to us and furthest away, Lord. And use us here at Rocky, here our, uh, uh, use our, our local uh, church, you know, all the churches around us. We pray that we would be bold for you, Lord. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.